This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Acts chapter 11. Jesus made this statement during his earthly ministry, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When he said that, he meant a couple things. First of all, the church would be built through his power, not ours. And when he said that, we need to connect what he said with how he told us to allow him to work through us to build his church. Jesus said, Ye will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and then unto the uttermost parts of the world. That's how Jesus was going to build his church. Now when you take the truth that I just shared and you place that on the book of Acts, you'll find that the Lord building his church, he is exactly following the pattern that he gave to the disciples to follow. And so last time we noticed in chapter 11 that God is now continuing to help his church to go to the Gentiles. I entitled the message last week, How God Grows the Gentile Church. We weren't able to finish there, but in verse 19 of chapter 11, again we read, Now they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. The believers traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch. We let you know that Antioch was a significant city. There were two other Antiochs. Uh, but this Antioch was the third largest uh, city in the Roman Empire. It was massive, 500,000 residents. Uh, we could compare it to the New York City uh, of our country. That's what it was. But they went to Antioch not because they thought it was a safe haven. They went there because they understood what a harvest field this was, which is why in verse 19, when they got there, they were preaching the word. Again, the very thing that would cause more persecution, but that's all right. They were about their father's business, preaching the word, but to none but unto the Jews only. But then verse 20 says, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. So these were Greeks, which when they were come to Antioch, spoke unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus, preaching that Jesus is Lord. He's who he said he was. He's Lord. And so last time we noticed a few truths, and then we're going to pick it up here where we left off uh, in just a few moments. But in verse 21, here's what we learned. God intends to use church laymen, and I, that's not a derogatory term. It simply differentiates between uh, the leadership in the church and fellow servants who are not in leadership. But verse 21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. Not church leaders, though God's hand was on them, no doubt, but these 
these laymen, the folks that helped make up that assembly, uh, who were not uh, vocationally working in Christian work. These, these are the folks who would worship the Lord on the Lord's Day and then go throughout Antioch fulfilling the jobs, the businesses that they had. God used them. His hand was on them. And verse 21 says, And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. I did some comparisons with the size of Antioch and, and Hampton Roads. And Antioch uh, was about the same size as Virginia Beach is today. And so they were making a huge difference in their community. That's the point. Verse 22 is a transition verse in the narrative showing the cooperative effort of all the believers in growing Christ's church. We read in verse 22, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem, and they, now this is speaking of the church leaders with the saints there, sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. So God uses church laymen. God uses church leadership. And what we have to understand, this was a cooperative effort. Can I just pause for a moment? One of the reasons that we pray for a sister church every Sunday is I want to remind us we're not in a competitive effort. It's Christ's church. Right? We need to pray for each other, the other churches. Those pastors encourage them. Uh, when you see believers from those other churches, don't, don't take time to compare what's happening there with what might be happening here. Uh, take time to encourage each other to be more faithful in our witness for Christ. But the church at Jerusalem saw what God was doing up there, and so we want to help them. We want to encourage them. This wasn't a, we want to check them out, make sure everything is copacetic. That's not what this was. They wanted to send help. They wanted to encourage what God was doing there. And so Barnabas was sent. We noticed what Barnabas did when he got there, verse 23. Who, when he came, right, 300-mile journey. All right, that was a trek. But he was committed. Didn't matter how far he was going to go and be used to the Lord. Right, so he made that track and had seen the grace of God. He was glad. That's the idea again that he rejoiced in what the Lord was doing there. And he exhorted, he encouraged, he continued to encourage them all that with purpose of heart they may cleave, cling unto the Lord. I'm so burdened that when this assembly meets together and as we pray for each other during the week, what is it that we pray about? Well, Lord, you know there's a lot of this bronchial stuff going through the church. Uh, would you just start healing people? Because when I go to church, I'm tired of hearing coughing. All right. Well, we ought to pray for each other's health needs. But you know what ought to be our greatest request? This ought to be a burning passion in our hearts. Lord, would you help my church family to cling to you? What's that mean? That every day of every week, 
we are pursuing you with all of our hearts. We want to know you better. We want to please you more. We want to be more like Jesus. Lord, help us to pursue you. That's what he exhorted these new believers in Antioch to do. Cling to the Lord. We weren't able to finish last time, but we began to examine then what kind of a man Barnabas was. What a testimony he had. Verse 24, for he was a good man. I used Romans 5 and verse 7 to help us understand what that word good means. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Of course, the Lord Jesus, uh, he came and he died for those who were wicked while we were yet in our sins. That's our Lord. That, that puts him uh, back at, at where we ought to see him as way above beyond anything that we, we are. But the point in this passage is righteous men, well, they fulfill their obligations for God. But a good man, he does that, but he does it with a right spirit, a good spirit. Uh, and that's who Barnabas was. His name means son of consolation, son of encouragement. And so God isn't just pleased when we obey. Okay, it's time to obey. <sighs> no, just like the Lord loves a cheerful giver, he loves a cheerful obeyer. I get to serve the Lord. Through his power, I get to please him. I get to walk worthy. And when I do what is pleasing to him, he counts me worthy. That's what the scripture teaches. So I cling to him and I ought to have a heart that wants to encourage others in that. And so he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And so verse 24, through his ministry, God was already working, verse 24, much people was added unto the Lord. But all this blessing presented a problem. It's called growing pains. We saw that back after Pentecost in Acts 2, that the church had grown to the point they started having some difficulties. Chapter 6, the widows weren't being taken care of. Uh, Growth brings uh, unique challenges. And Barnabas, because he was full of the Holy Ghost, had the sense to understand as the Lord showed him, Barnabas, you need to get some more help in here. All these folks that have been saved, we need to get more help in here. And so we're told, verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek, and who did he look for? Saul. Now, you know, why did he go to Tarsus? Well, Saul was from Tarsus. After his conversion and spending some time alone with the Lord, uh, the apostle Saul, who became the apostle Paul, he not only saw the, road on the, or the Lord on the road to Damascus, but then the scripture tells us that he spent a season with the Lord in Arabia. It was just the Lord tutoring Saul. Imagine that. 
say, how, how did Saul, the great persecutor of the church, how did he have all this wisdom, this spiritual understanding? And, and how was he used to write so many of these books in the New Testament, the book of Romans? How is that possible? Well, he had a really, really good, well, he had a perfect teacher, okay? And so, after that, it seems that Saul returns to Tarsus. He goes home. Why did he go there? I think he went there to evangelize. Time to tell the family what's happened to this guy. So he's there. Barnabas goes there to find Saul and to bring him to Antioch. Now, at this point, Saul has been saved about 10 years. Why turn to Saul, though? Well, Barnabas knew the special calling that Saul had. When he was converted, the Lord said to Saul, you are going to bear my name before the Gentiles. Chapter 9, verse 15. Barnabas had befriended Saul in Jerusalem when the other believers were afraid to accept him. This is a setup. Uh, this, this guy is making us think he's a believer so that he can pull us into his trap. That's what they were thinking, but not Barnabas. I have no doubt then that Barnabas had heard directly from Saul about God's call on him to the Gentiles. And so when they needed help in Antioch, who's going to help disciple these Gentiles? Barnabas, I need to find Saul. Look at verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught how many people? Much people. You know what much means? A lot. All right, very good. A whole bunch of people needed to be discipled. And so now Barnabas and Saul get after the work. By the way, did you notice how long they spent with these new Christians to get them discipled and grounded? How long? Okay. How long? How long? So here's a question. When you lead someone to Christ, when you have the opportunity to disciple somebody else who's been one to Christ, what are your time limits? Thank you. As long as it, as long as it takes. Some who have hardly any background, it may take longer. The point is, you disciple them until they move from the milk and into maturity where they can handle meat. How many parents do we have here? All right, how many of you parents are convinced that when you have a little one, it's as long as it takes? Okay, all right, all right. And with some of them, does it take longer? Oh, boy, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, why? That's our responsibility. What about a new Christian? Well, they ought to just get it. Here's the Bible. Look at what God says. No, 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 no. You help them from the word of God. By the way, Paul and, or Silas, let me back up here. Saul and Barnabas 
were dealing with folks who were pagans. America is no different. You're going to have to explain who Jesus is. You're going to have to explain what sin is. You're going to probably have to start back with creation because a lot of them have never even heard of that. Start with creation, unfold the plan of God and help them see that from the beginning, God's plan was Jesus. And so they did their work. This speaks to the very heart of our purpose as we disciple others. Now notice, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now I love this because uh, that name, that I-A-N means belonging to the sect of. So when they started to watch these people, these believers in Jesus, they started to notice a huge change. And that change reminded them of what they said their Lord was. They were becoming like Christ. And so as they watched them, uh, some said, well, those belong to the party or the sect of this Jesus. Unbelievers in Antioch referred to these uh, that, ba- that Barnabas and Saul discipled as those of the sect of the Jews' Messiah. Some of them shortened it, made it a a term of derision. They called them little Christs, little Jesuses. What they were saying wasn't just the result of what the believers professed. It was the result of what they practiced. They were truly like Jesus. I think most in this room this morning would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. The question is, is that what you profess or is that what you practice? Many, many years ago, and I was just a child when I heard this, I heard a preacher say one time, if somebody accused you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? We can claim to be all kinds of things. But what is it that we practice? And so these were practicing their Christianity and they were labeled as Christians. Now as we ponder the reality that the name Christian came from believers who were practicing what Christ had commanded I want to take a moment just, and and we've got a number of new folks in our church, just to remind us again that the name Christian is found two other times in our New Testament. We looked at this in some detail back in June, but I I just want to bring us all up uh, to speed on the fact that there are three times that the word Christian, the name Christian, is used in our New Testament. We've already seen the first time in Acts chapter 11. Hold your place here and would you turn to Acts 26. I love how the word of God fits together. The Lord said to Saul when he was saved, you're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But that's not all the Lord said. 
he said, you're also going to stand before kings. And when we get to Acts 26, that's exactly what happens. Saul, who's now Paul, <coughs> excuse me, is on his way to Rome. And he's standing before King Agrippa. But what is interesting is that Paul was not defending himself. He wants to see King Agrippa saved. And so, again, look at verse 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, this is his testimony before Agrippa, he says, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, pointing to Messiah. That Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people, and to who? Gentiles. And as he thus spoke for himself, Festus, another ruler that was there, said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning hath made thee mad. That's a nice way of saying you're crazy. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. Notice his spirit. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king, Agrippa, knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a... So by this point, what had started in Antioch now is spreading. These aren't just the people of the way. These are Christians. And even King Agrippa had heard of this. So Paul is trying to reach Agrippa with the gospel. I share with you back in June. What is so amazing about this to me is that King Agrippa's father was Herod Agrippa I. He was a politician. To make people happen, he was to ha make people happy, he was willing to do just about anything. And so he was persecuting believers, followers of Christ. He put James to death. He's the guy that put Peter into prison. Remember, Peter was miraculously delivered. But it was Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa, who had caused that to happen. Acts 12, and we'll be there shortly in our study, dies a sudden miserable death in Caesarea because they claim he's a god and he was accepting their worship and God struck him down. Now, who is this Bernice? Well, Acts 25, 23, this is Agrippa's mistress. She's sitting right next to this man, this king. These are two very wicked people. But Paul isn't focused on uh, their sin. Uh, he's focused on their souls. Why was Bernice and, and what was happening between Bernice and Agrippa, why was it so wicked? Well, because they were brother, sister, boyfriend, girlfriend. Paul doesn't even go there. He just takes the gospel to them. And with what had happened to Agrippa's dad, 
knowing his own wicked sin, when he hears the gospel, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. All right, so what does this passage tell us? Well, Christians are disciple makers. It doesn't matter who we're talking to. In a pagan society, you're going to talk to some people that look pagan. Love their soul. Point them to Jesus. So Christians are disciple makers. But then, here's the third use of the word, or the name Christian. We see in the scripture, Christians suffer on behalf of Jesus' name. So we are committed to making disciples no matter what physically may happen to us. So when persecution comes, a true Christian will face it willingly, not shrink away, will keep their eyes on the cause. Now where do we find this last use? Let's look at 1 Peter. Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 4, now this name Christian has been used all over the empire. People are suffering. People are dying horrible deaths. Again, you think about the second half of Hebrews chapter 11 and what was happening to those, those folks there. All right? And so... Peter knows that there is intense persecution. He's warning them that it's going to continue. And notice what he says, chapter 4 and verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a, what? Christian. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now here's what you need to know about those last three words. In the Greek, that is literally, they need to glorify God in this name, or for this name. The name what? Christian. For the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of those that obey not the gospel of God? All right, God chastens his own. Can you imagine what's going to happen to those who reject the name Jesus? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, what shall the ungodly and the sinner appear what will they endure wherefore let him let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator all right and so Christians believe some things they're like Jesus Christians disciple others they are disciple makers and they are willing to suffer for the Lord. Now, no doubt Barnabas was also called a Christian during his time in Antioch. He was all the things that the name Christian represent. Jesus was an encourager. He was willing to go to those who were in sin, those who had been persecutors, and try to reach them. Barnabas was a disciple maker. Was Barnabas ever persecuted? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Go back to the book of Acts. 
We don't usually think of this, but in Acts chapter 13, by the way, chapters 13 and 14 talk about the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas were the team. And so we, we read about what they faced in those chapters, but would you look at chapter 13 and notice verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of that city and raised persecution against who? Paul and Barnabas. Did this man as a Christian know persecution? Yeah. Did he, did he quit? No. He kept going for God. So Christ is still building his church today. In Gentile and Jewish areas, God is encouraging you, whether you're a layman or a leader in the church, that he can use you mightily. Your gospel work may be used to the Lord to propel you into a leadership role. I'm speaking to those who uh, you're not in vocational Christian ministry yet, but God may be taking you there. He may be leading you there. Are you open to that? Are you willing to be led into that by our Lord? Perhaps even calling you to preach, to plant churches. Okay? That's what God did with these others. Barnabas, Paul, all right? Well, and, and, and taking them to a place where, where he could use them in even greater ways. But the model for being a disciple maker is being a Barnabas who was, pardon the expression, who was a little Christ. He was a genuine Christian. As we continue to see change in our world and in our America, these reminders are so timely because he has called us to be like him. And if you call yourself a Christian, now you know it's not just a title. It's not what you profess. It's what you practice. And if you're going to call yourself a Christian, be like Jesus. Don't flinch about what you believe. And then be committed to making disciples for Christ. It's going to take time. It's going to take sacrifice. It may cause, well, not may. It's going to cause you to have to adjust your priorities. The Christian life is about faithfulness, not fun. But it can be fun. That's the guys that were on the camp out this weekend. We had fun, all right? But it's about making disciples. No matter the cost, and it's going to cost us. So let those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity, be committed to the cause. May God help us to be like Barnabas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the testimony of Barnabas. How mightily you used him And Lord, through him you built your church. 
But Lord, you gave us this detail about his name, about his life, so that we might follow him as he followed Christ. And Lord, would you cause every person here who is a Christian to be honest. If they have the name and they're indwelt by you, Lord, help us to be willing to commit ourselves to you. Lord, if there's any part of our life that doesn't reflect Christ, that we'd be honest about that and that we would confess that, make that right with you today. Lord, help us to be committed. And Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, Father, they've been able to see what you are doing to build your church by saving Jews and Gentiles, and today they need to be saved. Would you help them to understand their serious lost condition and that there's an eternal judgment and hellfire awaiting them if they don't turn to you? Lord, you have to judge sin. That's your character. That's who you are. You're just. You're holy. But, Lord, you're also gracious and loving. You can't tolerate sin, and that's why, Father, you sent Jesus to pay for our sin. The price has been paid, but now souls, each individual soul, must choose to repent of their sin, to turn from sin, and to believe on Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone listening to my voice today that's never been saved, help them to settle it today. Help them to settle it before it's too late. Help them to re realize that you, you love them. And Lord, you have a place in heaven for them. You want to cleanse them of their sin, but they have to come in simple faith to you. And so do a work, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.